You know, I was just thinking about the comment um, that Mikey made. The church is, was boring to him. And, you know, the reality is that if this all really church is, then it really is boring to me too. Because it's cool to come here and it's cool to sing. In fact, as you've known, you know, we are the church. So on one aspect, church can't be boring unless you're boring, but it could be a reality. But if we don't know the person, then I'd say probably church is boring. We don't know the person that we sing about. If, if really all this is is just coming here week in, week out, and we're not in a relationship with Christ, which is 24-7. It's not just about an hour and a half on a Sunday in the morning or an hour and a half on a Sunday night. It's a living, breathing relationship with a person. And our heart at the rock here, if you are new with us tonight, is to lead you and, 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 and hopefully model something to you of a relationship that we have found. Not just a, a, a service, a religion, um, a set of rules and regulations, a set of guidelines, but a person that actually changes and transforms you into greatness. A person that has your best interests at heart. A person that loves you unconditionally like no human being can. A person, you know, that can be hard for us to get our head around, you know, especially if you have a child and, and you look and, and you know the love you have in your heart for your own children. But the fact is that God loves my Lily and my Madeline more than I ever could. Way more than I ever could. He loves with a love that is so compelling and, and, and overwhelming and, and hard to describe that when we receive that kind of love, you know, that kind of love melts the hardest of hearts. That kind of love, when it just keeps coming forward and coming forward, you can't resist that kind of love. And that's the love of Christ. And so if you're with us tonight, I really hope that you're on a journey to find the person, discover the fullness of knowing the person of Jesus. You know, the Bible says that there is a love that goes beyond knowledge. There is a love that surpasses the intellect that we can know, live in, discover and experience. It's not just theory. It's not just about reading about it in a book. No, it's a love that if you capture the revelation of it, you will mutter these words, how wide, how deep, how high, how incredible is this thing? And literally, if it grabs hold of you, it changes you as a person. It has to. That's the purpose of it. And so I want to encourage you in that tonight. So Father, I just pray, God, that... that Lord, we're probably all at different places, we're all at different levels of knowing you. And tonight, God, I pray that after tonight, while I'm speaking right now, halfway through tonight, tomorrow morning, God, whenever it is, that we would, we would receive a greater revelation of knowing your Son. That we would not just say, I know about you, but I'm starting to know the person. I'm starting to discover your nature. I'm starting to fall in love with the person of God, you God, Yeshua, your Son, Jesus, our Lord, Jehovah the God that created me, the God that knows me in my secret place, the God that knew me and created me before I was ever conceived or even thought about by my parents, the God that came and died for me, the God that set us, us apart, the God that knows every hair on my head, the God that holds the universe in the palm of your hand and with one breath of life could shift realities. I pray that we would know that God at a greater level. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring your spirit of revelation and drop it into our hearts, into our spirits. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I just wanted to, um, I just had a thought while we were there just to let you know that, 
if you are with us tonight, you know our, one of our, our purpose here as a leadership is to equip you guys to know the Father and make him known, to, you know, to, to be a voice in the world. So it's great that we come here together, but you know, the, the purpose um, of leadership, that the Bible says the purpose of, of being together is to be equipped to go out and be a voice for him and to spread this thing called the gospel, to spread great news like, like fire spreads and to be someone that actually has compassion for those that don't know and our brothers and sisters. And, you know, um, some of you may know, might not know, but you know, we, we, we put um, ENLI on hold last year and we've just been getting together as a team and so we've now sort of formed the structure of this this sort of, um, you want to call it new, we haven't named it yet, we're trying to come up with a name for it, but really it's just a training and equipping arm. So just to keep you all informed where, where that's at, we've come up with the structure, now we're just sort of going to meet together and start putting some flesh and some meat on it and some spirit around it um, just to help um, equip you guys. And, and So just keep your ears out um, for that, but we're sort of going to be looking at possibly starting something next year at the beginning of next year. Um, just to help us all be empowered to know him and make him known um, and to discover for ourselves the real purpose of the church. Because so often we can, we can think it is about coming to a building, can't we? We think it's about doing some things. But when you fully get a picture of why God created us and, and, and the purpose for the church and how he sees it, then really this institutionalized thing just dissipates and the real thing comes alive. You know, when Jesus came to earth, he, he came and he stood and he saw these buildings and just this man-made rubbish and he said, what have you done? What is this? This isn't what my father came to bring. This is, this is institutionalized religion. What have you done? He said, in days this will all be gone. And it was. The Romans came and, and destroyed and, and took down temples and all sorts of things. So it actually happened. We need to capture as his church, what does it mean to be his church? To be the bride of Christ. And so we don't do church, we are the church. We're not boring because we've got God on the inside of us, it's alive and well. If it is a bit boring, and I've said this before, but we need to check the distance between us and him. Because the Jesus I read about has a nature and a generosity and a life and a love that is compelling. So compelling that it'll get you doing incredibly scary things where you've got to step out and trust him by faith. And if he doesn't come through for you, you are in serious trouble. And we've been talking a little bit about that this month and generosity in a number of areas from giving our time to giving finances to, to serving to, to putting yourself second and stepping into a realm. You don't really know if it's going to work out or not. You can't nail it down. How many of you know that God loves putting us in uncomfortable positions. It's his intent. So it's not a mistake. He actually calls you into the, a depth which is over your head. Because it's in that space we have to trust and we have to depend upon him. And in that moment we are stretched to a bigger level. And as you go forward he uses that and 
you know, Jeanette Ward was sharing this morning, just you know, about when she started, she had this, this shyness, this, this bondage of shyness that was just crippled her. And now she's up here preaching. Now she's the president of Women's A Guy for New Zealand. She's, now God's opening doors throughout the world and she's now speaking to, to hundreds, thousands of people. Why? Because she stepped out by faith. Why? She took a step in God and said, I'm not going to let what the enemy's trying to box me in here. I'm going to take a step in faith. I don't know how we're going to do this. I don't know how, where you're going to resource this from, but I believe you will. And things happen. Why? Because his nature is abundant. His nature is affluent. He is generosity. He is extravagant. Before he ever does anything, he just is. I mean, how many people can speak galaxies into being and stars into being and stuff into being? Him. And I pray, I really hope we can capture who he is, who he truly is. Because if we can capture who he is, then it will influence us for who he's called us to be. And we will live a life which... Many want, but many don't choose to do. Because the cost can be too high at times. But I want to just talk about generosity, the nature of God. The very nature of who he is, is generosity. He's generous. And I found this interesting story about Alexander the Great. The story is told one day of a beggar by the roadside who asked for alms, which is like either food or money or gifts of some kind, from Alexander the Great as he passed by. The man was poor and wretched and had no claim upon the ruler, no right even to lift a hand. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. A courtier was astonished at his generosity and commented, Sir, copper coins would adequately meet a beggar's need. Why give him gold? Alexander responded in royal fashion, Copper coins would suit the beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Oh, that's very cool. And I can't help but think God's like that. Now, when God gave you and I his son, he didn't give us his seconds. He didn't give us his slops. He gave us his very best. Very best. Because of his nature. Purely because of his nature. And we need to get our heads around this because, you know, we can have this poverty mentality. We can, we can uh, if our mindsets are aligned, we actually miss out on the life that God wants us to experience and live because our thinking's not right. And I shared this this morning, and uh, I'm just going to continue to, to share this um, to us, through us, over us. That, and I believe during the week the Holy Spirit said to me that Romans 12, 1 and 2 is to be uh, two passages in which you just continue to speak to my people to, to capture the truth that lives within these things and that everyone would launch, we would launch our life off those, those passages. And so if you've got your, your word, just come with me to Romans 12, 1 and 2. We probably know it well, um, maybe. Some of us may have never read it. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Simon mentioned it last week and it's quite fascinating. Um, because, as I said, if we can really capture this and start to live in this truth, then we will be transformed. So it says in verse 1, Therefore, this is the Apostle Paul, Therefore I urge you, brethren, or brothers, which is, you know, guys and girls, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. The first thing he says is you have to make a choice. You've got to choose to engage in a process where I'm going to call you to die to yourself. You're going to be a living sacrifice. As we know in the Old Testament, they presented lambs and different animals and killed them as a sacrifice for the atonement of sins. And Paul here is saying that I want, to pre- I want you to present your bodies which are living as a living sacrifice. Put yourself, it's a, it's a typology of putting yourself on the altar and have your will killed and died. And the problem with living sacrifices is we always get up off the altar and walk away. And so the old us, the my nature, the human nature needs to stay on the altar, buried and dead, and as I get up, and this new nature starts to come forth. And then he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of my mind. And then I will be able to approve God's pleasing, perfect will. Which means what we do is, and I'm guilty of this and I'm still working through this, but we acknowledge Christ as our Saviour, we acknowledge Him, we pray a prayer and we enter the kingdom. The Bible says to enter it you must be born again. But what really needs to happen is as you do that and start moving into the kingdom, every little pattern, every way you've thought as a, as in our human nature needs to stay right here. But it doesn't. What we do is we bring this thinking into this and we try to apply this thinking now in his kingdom. And as I was meditating on this some time ago regarding Nicodemus, I just felt the Holy Spirit said, Greg, just imagine if there was a child who was born into the kingdom from day one and never actually ever thought like humans do in the world. Imagine actually if you were born with this kingdom, because he says into Nicodemus, you must be born again to see it, and you must be born of the water and spirit to enter it. Imagine actually being a baby or a person that actually starts, not in that process, but right here. All you ever know is kingdom. All you ever know is righteousness. All you ever know is faith. All you ever know is God in the fullness of who he is and what he can do through you. Can you imagine what that would be like for you as a person? Be very lonely, I think. <laughs> but that's the goal. You see, we're supposed to be moving from this pattern of the world thing, dying to that, into the fullness of truth. That's why the battle is for truth. The battle is for sight, to be able to see as God sees from a divine perspective. So when God says, do this, do that, do this, it's just, yes, no problem, because you see him in the fullness of who he is. There's not a battle There's not a, oh, will you do it? Won't I do it? No, I don't know. I'll go, who are you? Because you're seeing him from kingdom godly perspective. Is this making sense? Why? Because you're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your thinking into how he thinks. So when he says to his disciples, guys, the harvest is ready. Let's go. And the disciples say, no, no, four months more. There is something wrong with this picture, isn't it? 
Because the Lord of the harvest is saying, it's right ready now today, but these men are going, I don't see that. I think we'll wait here another month and we'll say four months more. And what can happen is, Jesus goes that way because he's off. He's like a racehorse. He's off to the races. Go. Boom. And we're still standing there. But the Bible says, come follow me. But I'm not. I'm standing here. And he's gone. And now there's distance between me and him. You know what I said before? Life's boring. Check the distance between you and the Creator. And so we really need to engage with this truth through the Spirit. It's not just a nice statement that you can memorize and therefore I urge you brothers do not conform. It's got to get hold of your spirit. It's got to get on the inside of you and start messing with you. That's the purpose of truth. It's to mess you up. Do you realize that? To straighten you up, to align you to an accurate picture of how God sees you. See, I had this funny thought during the week and I was sharing this with a person that I don't know if we, I didn't get this. So Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? There is no other option but me. It's me. I'm truth. So when you invite truth into your life, what do you think is going to happen? All of truth. And there's darkness in you. The purpose of truth is to start to define you from the inside out that you would reflect him. Some people run away from God's word. They push it away. But the purpose of God's word is to define you into the fullness of who you're called to be. It's huge. I'm supposed to be talking about generosity. <laughs> See where we go tonight, eh? You never know. It's a brand new paradigm. He's trying to take us to a brand new paradigm and it's a process over a lifetime. It's not something that happens tomorrow. The process can start tomorrow. It can start happening right now. And we need to relax into that and just gauge in walking into this new paradigm of sight. Not here, here. Seeing from your heart. That's why Paul said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. That's why Elijah could see who was backing him on the hills, but his servant couldn't. Oh, we're doomed. What do you mean we're doomed? Can't you see all the guys on the hills? No? Oh, now have a look now. Whoa! Because it's a process, a journey into a new paradigm. And so, is God generous? Yes. Do you believe he's generous? If you say no, but this thing says he is, then maybe our mindsets are still formed by patterns of the world. Is he good? Yes, he is. Do you understand the fullness of his love, which is fear and grace? It's not just, oh, just make me feel good. He's, his love is complete. And so we, we have to get comfortable with this, and as we get comfortable with it and we allow this process of this truth to define us, we start to see him and who he is. You are generous. You're incredible. You're so affluent. And you pick me. You want to use me? 
to influence this world? Yep. Are you up for it? Absolutely. He's so incredible. He's, he, <laughs> there aren't words to describe him, are there? And as our mind starts to be defined, then we start looking differently and we start engaging with the level of generosity that he wants for us to engage in. We tend to look at giving something away as loss rather than gain because our thinking isn't aligned to the way the Father thinks. The Bible says if you want to find your life, then you need to lose your life. The Father has displayed his abundant nature by giving us the ultimate gift, his Son. I want us to come to Mark 6 and... I'm just going to just show you a couple of stories and I'm going to share at the end my own personal story of just God's, one of the stories of God's goodness um, when I was working for a company called NZ Safety. And we're going to look at God revealing this abundant nature. And our, our or the disciples struggle, but we're, we're disciples of him and, and their human struggle, not only to see this generosity, not only to believe it and live in it, but what can happen when our minds are aligned to him? When we allow Romans 12, 1 and 2 to literally invade our, our world, what can be released? And, and uh, Mark 6, verses 33, and it's a common story about the feeding of the 5,000. The people saw them going and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away. The great pastors. (laughs) So that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Just off the cuff, but you can see it right here, can't you? The different responses between Jesus and how he thinks and how he sees and how the disciples see and how they think. It's very clear. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties and he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them and he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were five thousand men, there was about probably twelve to fifteen thousand people there that day that ate, who ate the loaves. Question for us. Why is it that so often we start from a place of lack or what we don't have rather than from a place of abundance or affluence when it comes to doing something God has told us to do? You give them something to eat. I can imagine the disciples saying, you're having a laugh, aren't you, mate? And a broad cockney accent, all right, governor, you're having a laugh. Give them something to eat. What are you talking about then? He says, you give them 
something to eat. They look at the time of the day. It's late. They look at their resource, T-H-E-I-R. They look at their, T-H-E-I-R, ability to do this. And then they have the classic line, they go, I think we need to send them away. Anyone want to put their hand up and join me and say, I've done that. <laughs> How are we going to do this, God? I, I think right now we... We can't have these people in our life group, you know, because we've got 20 already and we've got no other place to put them. I mean, look, look, the place is so small that it is and they're sitting on all over the place. We just can't fit them in. He says, yeah, you can. I'll provide. I'll do something. But here we see the disciples, they, they send them away, but Jesus doesn't. Why? Now you might say to me, but Greg, this is Jesus. Yep. And Jesus is God. So he's got supernatural powers that I don't have. I go, yeah, Jesus is God, but Jesus did everything on earth as a man, even defeating the cross, going to the cross as a man, not as God. So we don't really have an excuse, do we? Because Jesus is tapping into the same resource that we can tap into when God speaks. Why? Because Jesus knew his Father. Jesus knew his father's nature. I don't mean just know about him, he knew him. He knew his nature, he knew him personally, he was intimate with him, he would spend time with him, he would get up early in the morning and spend hours just in this quiet time in his closet, just him and the father, and the father would speak and download. He knew his father. Jesus knew his father, Jesus knew the abundant nature of his father and because of this nature he also knew his father's willingness and ability to provide. Do I know him that well? Do I see him through the eyes of a renewed mind? Am I allowing his truth to renew my thinking that I would come to a greater knowledge of the father? Because Jesus, one of Jesus' main role was to reveal the father. It was to come and seek and save the lost. Yes, it was. But it was to come and make his Father known. And he said, if you look at me, you see the Father. What's really funny about that, I think it's in John 8 or 9. He says to his disciples, he says, to, he says if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in the very next breath, Philip goes, would you show us the Father, Jesus? Can you imagine Jesus scratching his head and he's probably a bit bored like this. He's going, oh, I just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What aren't you getting? He says, if you showed me stuff, the Father, then we would know. What was wrong with that situation? They were on a process of discovering the nature of God, who God truly was. Now let's cut them some slack because they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them at that time. The Holy Spirit had not yet come and filled them with life. We have. We have it available to us if we are maybe not baptised in the Spirit. So there's no excuse to walk in this accuracy, to walk and allow this genuine power that lives within us and the authority of heaven to define who we are and to know the Father intimately 
and to be able to be used as a resource of generosity. Now, I love what John 6, 6 says in relation to what we just talked about because it says Jesus knew what he was going to do. So Jesus is really setting his disciples up. He's trying to get them on a process of understanding who they are in him, who the Father is. He says, right, I'm going to, we're, going to, we're going to take advantage of this situation right here. I know what I'm going to do, but I wonder if they're going to operate at the level I want them to. And what I love about him, he doesn't beat them up. He, doesn't, he goes, okay, we've got a bit more work to do. That's me. I've got a bit more work to do. Well, the Spirit in me, it's not me trying to do it out of my own strength. You know, I can imagine Jesus saying, all right, boys, how many loaves, how many fish we got? And they go, five and two. Oh, that's plenty. Plenty for what I want to do. In fact, let's give a few back. Because what I'm about to do, we only need one and one. What my father's about to do, we've got plenty. But the disciples, they look at their lack and go, we can't do this with this amount. But Jesus, with a renewed mind, knowing he says, yes, we can. We've got something. That's all we need. When we submit this into this kingdom, this happens. Because the Father said it's going to happen. And so the challenge for us is, is this our thinking? Is this our paradigm? Can we see this and operate and believe in this? Or is it just a nice story that's in the Bible that really, you know, turn over the page? Mindsets are powerful things. A massive part of the transformation that needs to happen in our minds and our thinking is that God is incredibly affluent or abundant. It's his nature. He lacks for nothing. And because we have been created in the image of the most affluent person who has and ever will exist, and this person lives within us, we by faith can access this affluence or abundance to see his will achieved. I shared this a couple of weeks back, but once again, do you believe that you're affluent? Or do you think you live in lack? I believe I'm affluent because God lives within me. My affluence has nothing to do on one hand of the money I have or the time I have. It's literally the Father lives in my heart, which means I'm affluent. He's affluent. And when I'm in right relationship with him, an intimate relationship with him, he will ask me to do things and step out into areas and do certain things that I, in my own strength, don't have the resource for. But because I'm a son of heaven, and he does, I step out in faith and that affluence is released through me and into a world. And so well, I guess the challenge is, one, do we, do we even believe that we're affluent? And I know um, it was really awesome hearing Simon's story last week, and if you didn't get it, go grab it. Because Simon even said he was struggling with this concept because he looked at his lack, he looked at his lack of finances and found it really hard to actually think I'm affluent and have his mind transformed because God lives within him. So let's just say we all believe we're affluent. Now how are we using our affluence? Are we going to insulate ourselves with it or are we going to influence others with it? Because the easy thing to do is to insulate yourself and protect yourself with what God has given us. But God is abundant. He's resourceful. His nature is abundance and he wants to use that 
our affluence to influence. There is absolutely no lack for the things of God that he wants to accomplish. There's only lack for the things that we want to accomplish that are not born of him. You see, wrong thinking will actually have you living in lack. When the right paradigm in the kingdom is abundance. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So you can't expect to live in this realm of of abundance and affluence and all these things if the measure you use, because you can't see it, think it, believe it, is tiny. So we have a problem. And that's why the transformation of our thinking is so important through a spirit of knowing who he is. Here's my thought. Faith is living from his world to this one. Faith is living from the impossible to the possible. The impossible is God's natural mode of operation. And so faith is about living from his perspective, his paradigm, how he thinks, how he sees, now into this world, not the other way around. And that means we must have sight. Luke 5 is another classic passage of God showing his abundance. Boys have been out all night fishing, caught nothing. Absolute nothing. So I have a question for you. When Jesus said, hey guys, put your net on the other side of the boat, how many fish did they pull in? Anyone on this side? It's a university challenge. (laughs) Anybody know? It's a bit of whispering. Okay. This side, but not in the front. Not you two. How many fish? <laughs> That's good. Enough to sink two ships. Not quite. Close. 147. 153. That's why he's an elder. <laughs> 153 from nothing. Hey guys, we've been out all night. We've exhausted everything that we know how to do in our strength. My thinking. I've changed the line. I've changed the bait. I've changed the hooks. I've changed this. And this smart dude by the name of Jesus rocks up and goes, yeah, what a waste of time. I have boys three in it on that side. And there's a whole lot waiting for you to come. 153 fish, not 12, not 20, not 50, 153, a catch so large that they have to call on their mates because their nets are going to break under the extreme amount of pressure in the net. We worship an extreme, incredibly generous God. He, he, he gives 12 basketfuls of bread left over to make a point. Doesn't he? He says, you know what, we start here. I'm really going to nail this point home. There's actually going to be extra. Because I just want to show you how generous I am. You know what people do with a wrong mindset? With a poverty mindset in the church? They go, what a waste. That's a waste of food. And God's like going, no, it's not. I'm trying to demonstrate something that you would grab a hold of me with. That's not a waste. I'm showing you who I am, my nature, my capacity, 
to do and more. And we see it exactly here. God is generous, he's abundant, he's extravagant. His very being drips with abundance. Two passages of scripture, 2 Chronicles 31.10. Azariah, the chief priest of the house of Zadok, said to him, Since the contributions began to be brought into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat with plenty left over. Say plenty. For the Lord has blessed his people and this great quantity is left over. Let me read Psalms to you real fast. I'm going to share you a story and we'll get out of here. Listen to these words. This is Psalm 65.9. You visit the earth and cause it to overflow. You greatly enrich it. The stream of God is full of water. You prepare their grain, for thus you prepare the earth. You water its furrows abundantly. You settle its ridges. You soften it with showers. You bless its growth. You have crowned the year with your bounty, and your paths drip with fatness. Some versions say abundance. Just picture that. He drips. Who's been caught in a shower, in a heavy shower? Anyone today, this morning? You like drown like a rat, you know, it's just like <laughs> your clothes all stick to you and you drip water. Anyone experienced that? No one talking about? Imagine that. He drips like that. It oozes off him. And it's just this constant flow. The pastures of the wilderness drip and the hills gird themselves with rejoicing. Guys, we worship this indescribable being whose nature is to love abundantly, give mercy abundantly, lead us into the fullness of truth abundantly and redefine us that we would be his bride, that we would resemble him, that we would reflect him. And, you know, within those disciples there, that story we just looked at, he didn't just perform the supernatural acts so the disciples could eat that night. He didn't just do it so they could go home and feed their families for a week because they've got, you know, extra he didn't even just do it so they could make a healthy profit at the local fish markets because of the amount of fish they caught that night. Now, I, I think they probably did all those things, and, and they're right. No, God reveals his extreme, abundant, and extravagant nature and his ability to provide because of what he is about to ask them to partake in and of, and he asks us this very same thing. He's about to offer them the greatest career change known to man. The job of a lifetime with incredible prospects. He says, guys, I want you to leave everything that you've ever known, all your support networks, and put your trust in me. Getting to know me intimately and lay your lives down for my cause. This is what I'm going to offer you. The job description. Love me and others, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, 
become my bride, rule and reign with me. Qualifications for the job, availability, humility and faith. Hours of work, 24-7. Salary, not sure at the moment, but my father will provide. Superannuation, heaven. Holidays, what? (laughs) Benefits, freedom, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, self-control, patience, eternity. Downside to the role, sufferings, persecution, punishment, prison, death, bondage. (laughs) Am I saying that we all have to leave our workplace and follow him? No, but yes. God calls specific people into roles that maybe I do at the moment, whatever, but we're all called to fulfil the same role, the same purpose. And where we are in our workplaces is our mission field. The world is the church's mission field. And so we need Christians everywhere. So we actually all have the same role. We all have the same thing he's invited us to. And the reality is that The more we know the nature of God, the more we know his generosity, we know his love, we know who he is, we'll be more effective in those roles in making him known. And we are all called to that job description, whether we like it or not, because when we signed up and we said, I want all of truth coming into my world, I'll grab eternity, but you know what? I want more than that. He expects more than that. I want to be defined by you and I'm believing that you're going to pour out through me and change me to see your kingdom hit earth. And I'm just going to finish with this story, um, which is my own personal story. Um, I used to work for a company called NZ Safety and it was before I started here at The Rock. I was coming to The Rock and I share this story just to share with you the incredible generosity, goodness of God. Um, the, the limitless factor of who he is. And so I was, I was bored uh, in my current role. I was working out there in Bretoni as a sales rep with this company. And I was with my boss and I said, Look, I'm really quite bored. I'm, you know, is there anything going within the... We, the, uh, we belong to the West Farmers Group and so there were Blackwoods and a few other businesses. And so he was looking out for different positions for me. I wanted a greater challenge. And anyway, this position came up in Palmerston North of being branch manager of Palmerston North. Now, I'd, I'd lived in Palmerston North before. I had sort of bad memories of Palmerston North. Um, nothing to do with the town. It was my personal situation. And um, I'd actually worked for some of the, the, the same people before in Palmerston North at the same company. And this position came up, and everything in the natural said, nah, I was happy here. I was leading music. I was involved in Alpha. I was just loving you know, just serving in this house. and um, But there was this nagging little thing that said, this is of me, Greg. This is of me. And you know when you sort of know it's of him and you try to go push it away, that you go, no, 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 but you know deep in here. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, so I, I remember coming to Anthony and I said, well, you know, I'll just I'll let Anthony, not sigh, but I'll, I'll put it in front of him, some of the leaders here. And they said, you know what, it's, crazy as it sounds, I think it's God and you're to go. And anyway, so I said, well, okay, let's, you know, so I went to Palmy and had a look, had a chat and sure enough, long story, long story cut it short, I, um, 
I ended up going to Palms North. Before I was married to Danielle, we, we were engaged. This was in 2001, July. And uh, I was taking over the second worst branch of the country. There was 22 branches, which we were the second to the worst. We had the, the lowest gross profit in the country. The guy I was taking over from, the staff morale was low. And I thought, oh, well, you know, no place like starting at the bottom and trying to work you out. And I, um, I remember I'd come back every weekend and I would, I would stay um, at the, at the Kay's place in the spare room there and, you know, it was just like Monday morning I'd get up early and drive back to Palmerston. And um, I was like, man, what am I doing in Palmerston? What am I doing here? But there was this nagging little thing, is, this is where I want you, this is where I want you. And I was, as I started to work hard and do some things, I just started to see the hand of God just start to move. It really was quite phenomenal what started to happen. And, you know, I was there for two years, and in a space of, of two years, um, we went from the second worst branch to the second top branch. We had uh, our gross profit went from 22 to 31. Um, this, we had about a team of sort of uh, six people. And incredible things just started to happen, like really crazy orders were coming in. I'll just share one with you. Um, because we used to do a lot of work with um, breathing apparatus gear when people would go into the grounds and actually were dealing with gases and they'd need tanks on their back, they need gas detection gear. And so, you know, you get an order like this, it's around about fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. And this one day, um, this, this fax came through and it was an order for a whole lot of gear. And I thought, well, I said, I, I know I haven't quoted for this. And uh, so I got hold of my, my counterparts in Auckland. We had product specialists. And I said, have you guys quoted for this stuff? No, nah, don't know anything about it. Anyway, so I rang this, this customer and I said, look, I can't remember what his name is. I just said, look, thanks for your order. I said, but I actually think you've sent it to the wrong place. I think you probably should have sent it to my opposition. And he said, no, no, it was NZ Safety that did the deal. And I said, well, I said, I don't know you. You're in my area that I'm responsible for. And I've run my head office and they haven't got a clue what this order is. I said, I think you need to go back and check to see whether, you know, like you've got the wrong people and I'll go back and double check. And so that was a couple of days. He come back to me and he said, you know what? He said, you're right. He said, it was your opposition that did all the work. Now this stuff, you don't just buy it off the shelf. There's training, there's, there's amount of, you know, a lot of time that goes into dealing with different gases and what you're doing because people's lives are at stake. And so I'm sitting there going, okay, well, I guess we're going to lose this order. And he already says to me, he says, why don't you quote for it? I went, what? He said, why don't you put in a quote and we'll just see what yours comes out like. Now, I, there wasn't a dollar value on the, on the quote, so I jumped the gun. And I said, okay, so I got it all together. <laughs> I sent my quote off. We were figured out, he said to me, you are $5 cheaper than your opposition. We're going to go with you. And I'm like going, how does this work? This is stupid. And I just want, what I want to do is I'm going to put up, you, you'll struggle to see it, but I'm going to yell, this is six months of my sales figures where God just started doing stupid things. Now you've got to remember this branch was at the lowest of the low. Okay, So I was rep 162 and this is in January 2002. Now I did 132% of budget. Okay, in that, in that year, and we were gross profit was 31.1. Okay, flip the next slide, Dave. This is February. Uh, I did 129% of my budget, and the gross profit dropped a little bit, but it was 28.7. March, 
115% of my budget. Keep going, mate. April, that's 173% of budget. May, 149% of budget. And the last one is 202% of budget. Now, you can't see at the top, but by day 11, I've done my budget. I tell you the story, nothing to do with me, to say when you're obedient to God and you do what he tells you to do, as uncomfortable as that might be at the time, he takes that and he pours out this abundance upon you to show you things about who he is. Now, it was a bonus that I was getting commission at that time. It was a bonus that my salary was going up. And I asked him about it and I said, God, what did, why did you, why was this, you know, what, these, this was ridiculous stuff, you know. He said, I'm preparing you to go back to the rock where you're going to be in full time ministry and things are going to start to halve, meaning salary and all those sorts of things. He said, it wasn't about, although those things were a bonus, money and all those things, it was about me getting to trust in him and know what he truly has in the palm of his hand. So when things start maybe alter or shift around you, you're plugged into the source by faith because you know his ability and his generosity to pour out upon you. Does that make sense? And so that's what Palmerston North was about. Going to Palmerston North was just to be out of my comfort zone, needing to trust in him, have faith in him for another time. And the bonus were those other things. Let me leave you with this. He's generous. His nature is generous. He's love. He's mercy. He's truth. He's life. He's the overcomer. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He holds everything in the palm of his hand. He spoke it all into being with a voice, with one word. He's the ultimate. I hope you've captured something from this month and engage in it and not just allow it to wash over you but actually engage with it. And so Lord, tonight, I thank you, Father, that you are everything I've said and more. I thank you that we can never box you, we can never outgive you, we can never ever just match you and I thank you that we can't. I thank you Lord that you're fully knowable but a mystery and in the tension of those things we walk. But Lord tonight I pray that revelation would come to the hearts of your children of just a greater level of vision, a greater level of sight to see you in the fullness of who you are knowing that we can trust in you with everything we have. I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.